this cold weather, I was talking to somebody when they came in. It just reminds me of my dad. We grew up in Virginia. We had uh, winters that looked like some of those pictures, as you can imagine. My dad was um, a simple guy. I've told you that before. When it got down somewhere in the 30s, my dad would put a windbreaker on. And uh, he would rarely, he hate the, he just didn't like wearing bulky clothes. So he'd get this little windbreaker. I can envision him now, and he'd zip it all the way up to his neck. And the rest of us, you know, we'd have our wool mittens on and our hats and everything. Dad would be standing there, not saying a lot. I could tell he was cold, but he just had his little windbreaker on. When it got down to zero, then my dad would break out the big coat. You, you could almost tell it was cold by what dad was wearing. I remember coming back from college one Christmas break, and my parents had this outdoor storage unit, and it was zero outside. I mean, it was brittle cold. You know, when you walk out and you just, all of a sudden, your face just starts stinging, and every, every exposed area just begins to, to feel it automatically. <clears throat> My dad had the big coat on. I had a super big coat. I was living in Boston at the time, so I wore two of everything. I was used to it up there. I had a ski mask on. I had big gloves on. I had a scarf. I had, I mean, long johns, everything. I was, I was equipped. The only possible thing that could have gotten remotely cold were my eyelashes because everything else was covered. Well, my dad, he was, we were moving stuff, moving boxes, and I remember that my dad's hands, I could just, I can see them now. They were just as red as a beet because they were so cold. And um, I grew up in school. I'm, I'm cutting out, am I not? Okay. I always like to, because I might be having a stroke at any minute and you never know when I'm going to pass out. So maybe I'll stand up. That'd be better. So at any rate, I... Um, so I, I, I grew up old school, and old school goes like this. Your dad doesn't ask for help. Intimacy wasn't part of the deal back growing up for us in the 60s and 70s. just wasn't part of the, the thing. We t- we've talked about that a little bit. Now we live in a generation where we get, we're, we're, as men, we're learning to be more open. But if you ever ask my dad, hey, dad, you need a hand? Can I help you with that? No, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, it was just, I don't know if that was, you know, his grand, his dad was that way and his granddad and all that, but they were self-sufficient. So we're standing there. I'm all bundled up. I'm comfortable. And even though it's cold, everything is covered. And I just looked over and I saw his hands and they were just barely moving. I thought to myself, too bad. No, I'm just kidding. I started out that way. And I said, Dad, I got an idea. How about you wear one of my gloves and I'll wear one of my gloves and we can at least stick our hands in the pocket we can help each other out. I knew what the answer would be. No, I'm good. I'm all right. I'm all right. He looked at me. He thought for just a second. He said, okay. As silly and as small as that little moment was, It stands above many events in the timeline with my dad. Because we both were doing hard things. I did a hard thing by giving up my glove, to be honest with you. (laughs) 
That was nothing in comparison to my dad saying, okay. I never talked to my dad about that. I never downloaded that event. I never said, boy, that was something, dad. You know that you said, okay. And um, that really made me feel this way. And that we, it was just this thing. And our relationship was never different or never the same after that point. I felt like I had come through this rite of spring and I was an adult. Because after that, many things like that happened. We shared with one another. And I thought how hard it was for him and sometimes hard for us to do the hard thing of being vulnerable, of saying, I need you. I could use some help, especially men. Is that not true? We're the guys that, are, that won't stop for directions. I get lost so much, I'm over that a long time ago. I stop, I, just the very scent of being lost. Hey, I'm pulling over. I, you know, you know, my wife doesn't suggest that to me. That's not because I'm humble. I'm a moron, and I've got a lot to do. And if I didn't ask for directions, I could be driving all over the place. <laughs> There's sometimes that hard things. I wanted to say, tell you that story because sometimes when we think hard things, we think it's like I've got to leave everything. I've got to sell all I have and go to the mission field. I've got to do that hard thing. It's not true. Some things, sometimes hard things is like making a phone call instead of shooting an email. Instead of just acquiescing of saying no. Sometimes a lot of our youth are gone today, but sometimes it's when everybody else is at a party taking what's being passed around and you say one simple two-letter word, no, or no thanks, I'm good. It's when some guy wants to do something with you as a youth that's you know that's out of bounds with God and you do the very hard thing of saying no thanks no there's a book that has the same title do hard things about a year ago in December I was reading this book and uh, as I was reading this book, uh, a very busy s- schedule for me in December. Some of you know I play piano. That's my background. So I still play gigs, as they say. I play for high schools and middle schools and whatnot. And in December of 2010, I was playing a concert for a high school. I believe it was in Northport. That's quite a drive, you know, for, I don't know, 25, 30 minutes. It was at the end of a, a long day, and the day got longer as I you know, did the concert. And when you're performing, you're dressed in tuxedo, and you're emotionally in the game and mentally in the game. And so by the time you're finished with your, with your performance and it's, you know, it's late, you're oh, exhausted. There was a young man that was coming to our church at the time, Blake Cook, and... Um, Blake had cancer. He had struggled with cancer. And uh, I got a phone call that said somewhere in the midst of the performance, there was a message on my phone. Uh, I think we're at the last chapter here. 
Now, in my position, I hear those words a lot. Those, those are not to sound callous, but I, I get those calls. And uh, many times that doesn't happen then. I got a call a few months ago. Someone said, you know, this is the last chapter. I went to the hospital. There was a difficult scenario. You put the gloves on, you get the gown on, the mask on, you go in. That person is out of the hospital now. You just never know. So when I got the call, this may be the last moment. I had met Blake. Uh, a few years earlier, as I was teaching at Riverview High School, I subbed, to, I subbed there sometimes in the music department. And uh, so I knew him. He was just, he was a friend. I was coming out of that performance. It was late. I was tired. And uh, I'm coming up the interstate. And I'm going to pass by my exit that could take me to my house. Just one turn off and I'd been home. I lived right off the interstate. And I got near that exit. And these words vividly came to my mind. Do hard things. Small, but hard. I was tired. Okay, I'll keep going. Because he was in St. Pete in Children's Hospital. Parked the car. It was cold, as I remember. Got inside. Got my bearings. Figured out where he was. Took the elevator. Went up. After you've been around it a while, you can sense. There's a sense that you have. You could sense something had happened. And he had taken his last breath seconds before I walked in the door. I walked into a room of people that were broken, passionately crying, some embracing his body. And I stood in silence and I just prayed. I knew some of the people and didn't know some of the people. I saw people who had done so many, so many hard things in that room. And I understood at that moment when God says, do hard things, to do it. Even though they may seem small. Today we're going we're gonna to talk about something that seems in your mind maybe small. You think, oh, that's not hard. But it is hard. It is hard. The things that, that come into our lives are so easy sometimes to say no to. I met people that had embraced the families here today, Burnside family, who embraced Blake, took him in, became like family to him. He lived there. So many more hard things than just keeping your car on an interstate. But I, I, I know that that decision began, came by one small hard things, them saying to him, why don't you come live with us? It's like that. Just like that. When we say here at 360, our mandate is um, up on the screen. It reads like this. We believe that our mandate at 360 is to grow relationships small and to live large in the real adventure. 
it seems like an easy statement to make, but those first three words, I will say, require us to do hard things. And so, you know, words matter. And so um, I, I thought today what we would do is let me just take some time and define what it means to grow relationships small. Because it's like the word um, uh, love. You know, I love ice cream. I love my wife. And the two are somewhat different. Not a lot different. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Not a lot different, right? We, we use those words. Um, our oldest son, uh, he's, in, um, he's in third grade. And, uh, you know, they pick up new words from each other. The new word now is annihilate. Now, I don't know where he got it, some movie, and, but it applies to everything these days. I, I say, let's take the trash out. Yeah, we're going to annihilate that. I'm like, you know, you kind of let it pass the first few times, you know. Yeah, it looks like you did a good job at eating your mac and cheese. Yeah, I annihilated it. I'm like, okay, everything is now annihilated. When you say it, ah, you got to growl of like annihilate it, you know. I'm like, do you know what that means exactly? No. I'm like, well, you're using it a lot. So we try to explain to him. It doesn't apply to everything, right? And same thing for small circle relationships. Small circle relationships, because we're going to talk, as you can, if you hang out a lot here, you're going to see we talk a lot about it. So it's important that we just don't take it for granted, like it's a word like love and annihilate, and you can just apply it to many different things. It's not just best chums. It's not even getting close to someone. It's so much deeper than that. And I, and I think I'd like to just review something that if you've been around for a while, you'll, you'll see it. Here's been my experience in church. Let's throw the football field up because this is easy. Um, I don't know if anybody watched the playoffs uh, yesterday. Um, I was kind of keeping my eye on Tim Tebow, kind of rooting for him. That was a little tough. <laughs> Better luck next season on that one, boys. At um, any rate, this, th- we use three circles in our logo, and I just want to touch on this a little bit. But my experience, I don't know if about, uh, this is yours, but I just like to say it. And I even like to blame myself. That way I'm not throwing rocks at anybody else. But the three circles represent three types of relationships that we see in Christ's life. We see Christ preaching to the thousands, right? We would call that big circle. That's what we're doing right now. There would be, it's impossible for any of us to, to say, we're going to just know each other really, really well this morning. It's not, just not going to happen. The center, the mid-circle, as we call it, is, is more of a, a group of people that would come around like Jesus and his disciples. We call them act groups here, small groups, very typical. Sometimes some churches have Bible studies and Bible classes, and there's a, you know, a, a smaller group of people. And, and the third one, then, we would call the red zone or the small circle. In my opinion, if you can go back to the previous slide there, Jose, um, this has been my church experience, just being honest. The churches that I have led, um, not being critical of anybody else, but churches that I have led have existed, and the end of the road has been this, the mid-circle. That means a smaller group of people in a study or in a Bible study or in a small group or whatever that may be. 
the one-to-one, the Moses to Joshua, the Elijah to Elisha, the Paul to Timothy that's so alive in the scriptures hasn't been really a part of my experience in church. I don't know about yours. And there are reasons for that. We won't get into it, but if we'll go to the next slide, I believe that Christ, even in the midst of his 12 disciples, he had a very unique and special and closer relationship with a few of them, namely James, John, and Peter. And you see it throughout the Gospels that he pulls them aside and he's got a very close relationship with them. This is what we're talking about today, this progression to a small circle relationship because my proposal to you is that once we define it and you see, wow, that's what you're talking about, it requires us to do hard things to get to that point. It is very easy to stay in the big circle. It is. In life in general. Even within a, the, the arena of the church, it is easy to even stay sometimes in that mid-circle. I've sat in small groups for a long, long time and been able to hide without really getting down to that one-to-one personal relationship. As always, it's great to go to the Word of God to define uh, this small circle. And so today we're going to hover in one passage, 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. I invite you to bring your Bibles, by the way. I always think it's a great idea if you have one. If you don't have one, we can get you one. Um, But it's okay. I'll say this. um, I've said this before. I'll say it again. It's okay to write in your Bibles. I know uh, for some of you that that may seem like, wow, I'm not sure I can do that. But it's okay. God's cool with it. And uh, you can write notes. Sometimes you're listening, man, you want to underline something or you want to highlight, you want to write in the margin. And, uh, you you know, you come back to it later. It's just, it's a great thing to do. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, we're going to ask that you leave during the following prayer. (laughs) Dear God, no, just kidding. It's all right. There are Bibles under the chairs. You can also look at it on the screen. This is a very, um, very touching part of Scripture, David, the future king of Israel, um, links with the current king of Israel, Saul, who turned out not to, to be such a great guy, his son named Jonathan. And uh, David is, is spoken of as we begin this passage in 1 Samuel chapter 18. As soon as David had finished speaking with Saul, the, the current king, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved David as his own soul. And Saul took him that day, took David that day, and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword, his bow, his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all people, all the people, and also in the, the sight of Saul's servant servants. Let me, let me say to you first and foremost this, that you can have a small circle relationship. You can have a close relationship with another person that doesn't share the same faith as you. 
I do. I have some close relationships. There's a there's a, one of my friends that that he's a Muslim, and we have very open dialogue, and and uh, we've had a this, we've had this friendship for probably going on eight years now, and and we know each other's family, and and that's great. It's not the small circle I'm talking about, but I want to say out loud that you you I'm not, I'm going to say the one I'm talking about is the only kind to have, but in the context of what we're talking about 360, I want to be very distinctive. You may have someone like I do, like my, my wife. You may have a spouse that you say, man, we are tight and we're close and, and uh, we have this, this thing. That's cool. That's, that's absolutely cool. I say that's a beautiful, close, small circle relationship. It's not the small circle relationship that I'm going to refer to today. So I'm going to say to you that there are different types of relationships. You may have a best friend. They may live in Maine. They may live in North Carolina. They may live across the country. It's not the kind of relationships, but I, I applaud those relationships. I think they're awesome. I'm not in no means saying just get rid of them because you only do the kind we're talking about today. They're, they're great. But I think in the context of our faith, there are some very distinctive things. And here's the first thing. This relationship was spiritual. It was spiritual. Be careful in thinking that the relation, the small circle relationship that we're talking about in the scriptures is just best friends, best chums. No, they were knit soul to soul. You see, it's impossible for me to have a relationship that's outside my faith that's going to stimulate my faith. And that's okay to have. Again, I do. But the, the small circle relationship that I'm referring to, if you look at the ones that Christ had, they had a shared mission, a shared faith, a shared spirit, the spirit of God within them. And I believe that that relationship that God wants us to have that we're speaking of today is a spiritual one. That means one of, of like faith. So that you can, so you know that you can go down to the deepest things of our faith and be able to talk about them, to be able to challenge one another with these things, to be able to, to question these things. Where are you in the Word of God? Now, my Muslim friend will never ask me that, has never asked me that, because we're on two different planets with that, even though we respect each other and where we're coming from. Does it make sense? It's tough. It's a little tough to even explain. But I would say that when Jonathan and David were knit together, I want you first to see that they were knit together on a soul level, a soul level. I've got a lot of friends across the country. I've got some very close friends across the country. I've got about two people that I would consider that are in this small circle. You can't have many, by the way. You can't have 27 small circles. We're just talking about one or two, maybe three, just very, very tight where I can say, I feel abandoned right now. I feel overloaded. My prayer life feels like it's hit a brick wall. I'm lost in the scriptures. They feel cold to me. All those soul discussions can only happen at that level. Here's the second thing I... I noticed that in 1 Samuel 18 and verse 2, if you look in the second verse, 
Saul took him that day. The king took David that day and wouldn't let him return to his father's house. So he lived in the palace. And what I would say to you, it's under one roof. So that when David came and lived in the king's palace, he was living with Jonathan. And here's the, here's the visual that I get from that story. Small circle relationships get down to a personal level. They know about my children. They know about my wife, my marriage. They know my work habits. I'm opening up, which is a hard thing to do. I have people, my small circle person um, is willing to take me to the beach and sit in a car and saying, you're working too hard. You're not seeing your kids. What are we going to do about that? That small circle. To be honest with you, most of you are not going to do that because we don't know each other on that level. We know each other on this level, which is a beautiful level, right? But if I walked up to you just out of clear blue and said, you're not spending enough time with your kids, like, do you know about that? uh, Get away from me, right? Because we haven't earned that soul level yet. Who in your life are you allowing to ask those hard questions? When someone comes to me and says, Ma'am, my marriage is, is it's in a bad place. It's in a hard place. It's impossible for me to say, well, then let me jump in your car. And then and we'll be close and we'll do. I always ask the question, can we find someone in your life in this church, in this under this roof that we can put and walk with you? And then when a person gets to that point, they're like, oh, that'd be great. I have seen it over and over and over. Just this morning, someone came to me a couple of months ago and said, hey, there's somebody in my family. They're just slipping away. We're losing them. You know, we can't. And I said, can we, would you allow me to speak with them, speak with someone else, try to link up this small circle relationship? Just ask today, how's that going? Unbelievable. The change that is happening in this person's life is so measurably reality unbelievable. And I'm like, you know me, I'm a crybaby. I'm like, here they come. I can fill the ducks filling up because that's what it's about. And I get passionate about it. Because for nearly three decades, I've led a church in such a way that that's missing. It's like Christ leading the cause in front of thousands and leading a small group and never having a mano y mano with Peter. It makes sense at all. That picture would be weird, wouldn't it? It would be strange. So we're under the same roof. They know about our interest. Our families, they know about my family, your family, your work habits, all those things. But let me be even more distinctive. They were under the same roof, I believe, spiritually speaking. Now, here's where I'm going to get real, real distinctive. I have had small circle relationships on a spiritual soul-to-soul level with those who are outside my local church And they work. They do. And some of you probably, you can think of that person that's in North Carolina or across the, or even in Sarasota. But I will say optimally that they are at least very close to what you're doing in the local church. And I would even say optimum they're in your local church. And here's why. 
we're very good at having a layer or a card. Let me do this analogy. A card in our hand that we don't play. I am. That doesn't work with my wife. You know why? I live with her. There's no hiding cards. You know, all cards on the table because we're under the same roof. When When you have a small circle relationship within the church, we know if you're here or not. We know... We know what's going on in ministry. Are you involved? I can see you. Are you active? Are you passionate? Are you part? It's easier to keep track of. Jesus had a relationship with those like Peter and John that were right there with them. And when they started thinking in a way that was greedy, when they started thinking in a way that was selfish, boom, Jesus could be right on it. So I can't encourage you enough Wherever you are, you may just be in the big circle, and I think that's totally cool because it's a journey. Nobody is at the perfect place ever, including me. But you may be in, in a big circle. You come on Sunday mornings. You love it. You love this time together. I can't encourage you enough to take the next step. It's hard. I know it's hard. And I think you need to hear me say, I know it's hard. For some of you, like, man, getting in a, a group of people, of 10 to 12 people, I know it's hard. I don't even know what it is. Ad groups, some people, they email me and say, what's, what's this thing about ad groups? I'm like, not ad groups, ad group. You know, like an ad symbol. And it's like, I can tell, like, oh, there's a disconnect. And we talked about it this week. Oh, there's a disconnect. So every week, every week, not just for a, a given time, every week we'll have somebody in the lobby that you can say, tell me about ad what, 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 what is it about it so that you can take that next step? Can't encourage you enough. Some of you are already in that group. Can't encourage you enough to say, just don't, don't see that as the end. See that as the possibility of growing a relationship smaller. I would say to you finally, the, to define what this small circle relationship looks like, it is the red zone. If you're not a football player, which I'm not, I know it's hard to tell, um, but if you don't know football, it's the last 20 yards. It's more mud and blood. It's where you get down and dirty. It's tougher to score in the red zone than any other place in the field. It's supposed to be hard. We live in a culture these days that does everything possible to make life easy. But in this case, Christ calls us to something hard. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, well, what's so hard about it? I'm going to tell you. You could feel that one coming. Here's the deal. First, it takes time. (laughs) Investing in people takes time. And time is our most precious commodity. I am aware of what time it is every time, all all the time. I got a clock sitting right there staring at me. I know what time it is. I know how long I can go. I know what I'm doing after this. I got a 1 o'clock appointment. I got a 1.30 appointment. I got time is important, but it requires time. That's why it's hard. That's one of the reasons why it's hard. I think another reason, if you look at First First Samuel chapter eighteen verse three, Jonathan stripped himself of his robe that was on him and gave it to David. His armor, his sword, his bow, his belt. It there takes this giving of ourselves in order to 
to have a small circle relationship. This life, you know, the 40 Days of Purpose, Rick Warren, the very best-selling book, the first statement of the whole deal, it's not about you, right? That's, and, and people clung on to that. Like, gosh, I guess it's not about me. And to, in order to have a relationship that you're going to pour into somebody else, ta- there's a taking off of ourself and say, okay, that's what makes it hard. I'm not even saying you're, some of you are ready for that right now. Some of you are so cl- tightly clasped to your own armor and sword and all that because it's about you and all that. I get that. I've lived in that for many, many years. But until you're ready to say, man, I'm, I'm ready to then take my life and to put it in somebody else, I haven't ever met anybody who was willing to do that that didn't come back later and say, best move I ever made, best move I ever made to give it. But that is tough. I think it's tough because there, there, there's this lack of intentionality. Watch this, First Samuel chapter 18, verse 3. Then Jonathan made a covenant. They said, let's be serious about this with David because he loved him as his own soul. I'm working out now. I said, it's not good enough for me because I know I can get on a bandwagon and then fall right off of it. I have a Google Doc with two other guys. I put myself on that Google Doc, and they can see when I'm working out and when I'm not working out. And if I'm not working out, I promise you, these guys are knocking on Steve's door saying, dude, what's up? I have put myself in an intentional mode, and quite frankly, this is where the church has failed. I'll take the hit. I'll take the hit. In order for small circle relationships to happen, I believe it has to be in the operating system. It's unfair for us as leaders to say, go do it. Just go do it. No, we can't inundate our operating system with a million Bible studies and Awanas and uh, softball leagues and blah, 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 and then just expect it to... No, we have to make that part of the mix. That's why we're getting ready to launch iGod, which is, we won't even get into it today, but it's a very intentional track where it brings two people together and keeps them together a person to person for a year, year and a half, maybe two years, maybe longer, and then they repeat that with somebody else. It's intentional. It's got to be intentional. These guys says, let's make a covenant. And in today's day, they would say, hey, let's do a Google Doc, and we'll make this thing real. I believe that's difficult. But let me get to the most difficult and most subtle thing I believe that growing relationships small is all about. And you may be sitting there thinking, "This, this is the thing that's hard for me. Said it before, say it again. 93% of men in America, 93%, I just want you to let that sink in. That's if we had 100 men standing here, 93 would raise their hand to this question. How many of you have no best friend? 93 out of 100 would raise their hand. And I believe there's a reason for it. Watch this, it's subtle. Something happened when Adam fell in the garden. And when you look at the picture of what happened after Adam fell, you can assume that it's the exact opposite of what God intended in the first place. Every wrong thing that happened after they stepped off the mark, you can say, well, that's what God didn't intend. And the very first thing that happened, as if you know the story, it's well known, Adam sinned. And he hid. But it's not just that he hid. There's something more subtle. Watch this. Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8. And Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord God 
walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, I find that different enough for me to take note. Because if you and I were saying it, we would say it this way. They hid from the presence of the Lord, right? But they hid themselves. It's not that they just hid. They hid themselves. Now watch this. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And Adam says, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. I was exposed. And I hid. No, I hid myself. I believe that one of the things that happened at the fall of the human race, which mysteriously injected and infused in the rest of us the, all the way out, mysterious, is that we, we've learned our natural inclination is to hide myself, to be less transparent. And now, because that word hid in the original Hebrew, it has this sense of uh, withdrawing to safety. That's what it means. Hushed and secret, withdrawing to safety. The most difficult thing, if you say, why is it so tough why, don't, why do only seven out of a hundred men have best friends? It's because there, that we are, there's a nature inside of us that says, look, I want to hide myself, the true self, all the junk, all the stupidity, all the, all the dumb things we do, all the habits, all the greetings, all the selfish stuff. I don't want you to know it. I'm not going to say it in the big circle. I'm just not going to do that. And it would take me a lot to say it with 10 to 12 people. But I promise you, the person that is one-to-one with me, that's the moment where we've earned the trust so it's safe enough so I don't have to hide myself. I would propose to you that all of us inside yearn for an Eden of what it was created to be. All of us are created to say, gosh, I wish I had somebody to be open with. I've seen too many mere men with tears in their eyes when I ask them, who's your small circle? And they just stop. And they well up with tears and they have no one. And it's just not men. Let me not say it's just not men. Many women, many youths don't have anyone to say, let me come out of my hiding and just let it out. Now, that doesn't mean I've got to, you know, here's a, we're going to do a printout of Steve's junk and here's every bad thing I've done and I'm doing right now. But how many men would come up behind a microphone today and say, hey, I'm afraid. I'm afraid right now. My finances are in such a, a, a mess. I'm afraid. My relationship with my wife is not what it, and I'm afraid. My kids are teenagers. I don't know what to do. There is no manual. I'm afraid. Those are hard things for a man to say. Those are hard things for a woman to say. Those are hard things. That's because there's this subtleness that is built into now the fallen DNA of who we are that we still like to hide ourselves But there's something as we're behind that bush that says, I wish I weren't here. 
I wish that there were someone I can talk to. I believe that it just unfolds in our culture. You can watch it. I, was, I heard someone say the other day, you know, things change. I grew up and I was born in the 50s, grew up in the 60s and 70s, and our home was built in 1922. We had a front porch with a swing, and we knew everyone. And, and now that I've passed the half-century mark in my life, I will say to you, things have changed dramatically. We put air condition in our house. So we stay inside a lot. We got remotes for our garage doors. So we drive, we open it, we drive in, we close it. And homes are much more valuable if you can't see anybody. Our home looks to the back of Erfer Park. I can't see my neighbor to the right. I can't see my neighbor to the left. All I can see are these pine trees. And when I bought the house, I'm like, this is nice. I can't see anybody. That's because I'm a son of Adam. It has no place in God's church. I've apologized to God many times for leading a church where I intentionally avoided the red zone. We can change. We can change. We can change. I believe that when you look at First Samuel, back to First Samuel. Now watch this. You remember when Adam said, I hid myself? Watch this. First Samuel 18, 3 and 4. And Jonathan stripped himself. See, we would say he stripped the robe off. That's what I would say in everyday language. But he stripped himself. That's why it's so tough. Finally, let me say, here's why it's so tough. We are in a spiritual warfare. Please don't miss it. I know for some of you, like, okay, that's a little bit bizarre. But honestly, if you just live and read the headlines, go whatever your favorite, ABC, CBS, CNN, Fox, doesn't matter. I'm back. Catch some headlines. And just tell me if you sense that there's an inner battle in our world between good and evil. And we are in a spiritual warfare. Let me say very overtly, openly, without any, any hesitation, that in the spiritual warfare that we find ourselves in, you have substantially, exponentially a better shot at being where God wants you to be in this warfare in a small circle relationship, period. I have tried on my own. I've tried it hiding behind the bush, and I've failed miserably, miserably. The worst chapters in my entire spiritual life are one that I was hiding. One, those chapters where I'm like, I don't even want anybody to even get close enough to me to sniff what's in my closet. 
And at those moments is exactly when I lost the spiritual battle. When I have other men that are close to me in my life keeping tabs and saying, what up, dude? What's going on? Where you been? Are you doing this? Are you, man, the spiritual warfare, I feel strengthened to fight. Don't do it alone. Don't do it alone. And I believe that the, the enemy absolutely understands that. And he will do everything in his power to keep us hidden and ineffective for Christ. I know for some of you that was pretty heavy, but it is a reality. It is a reality. Finally, I believe that we have to ask ourselves this question before we walk out of this building. What does it matter? I mean, if you don't, why would we be in a small circle relationship? Because if we don't answer that question, I know that it's not going to take hold. And I would say, just let me just go through a quick list, and one of these is going to grab somebody. Let me just say this. It's a custom fit, number one. It's a custom fit. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to end this these this list with some crazy pictures because sometimes a visual just will stick in, in your mind. And if it's a crazy visual, it will really, really stick in your mind. And I just want you to take a look at this picture. I don't know if you, any of you girls own a dress like this, but I would say you wouldn't get it. This is sometimes how life feels, does it not? Like you're just kind of fitting in the mix. Nobody really knows. Nobody, you're behind the bush. Nobody knows what you're struggling with. You're going through the hardest chapter of your life, blah, 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 and you're just like part of the mix. Discipleship, small circle relationship, takes that and says, no, can't be that way because you have specific needs, specific great things, specific victories, specific struggles, all that, and they'll get lost in this. There is no way that you can be cared for or care from somebody else in a room with this many people. Does that make sense? Custom fit to our needs. Secondly, we have a great need in our soul to be in a small circle relationship. Here's the next visual. Check it out. Try to ride this bike. I tried to figure it out. I, I, you know, I'm going to confess my moroniness. So I'm looking at them like, how would you reach that? Like if you're sitting over there, I see the pedals. I mean, I actually spent time figuring out how you could do this. Then you're like, you just can't, right? You can't reach the handlebars. Because if you're on the handlebars, if you're doing that part, that's going to be painful um, <laughs> because there's no seat. <laughs> and so I'm like, this is a picture of the inside of our soul where, you, where we're sitting over here and the handlebars are over here and it just doesn't work. It doesn't go. It doesn't move forward because we have this broken soul need in ourselves and I promise you, you will not get it on Sunday morning. How many pastors have you heard say that? So get out of here. I'm sorry, no, I'm just kidding. It only happens when you bring the two together so that you can reach. We have a need in our soul. Huge one. Boy, I could spend time on this forever. The heartbeat of Christ will never be perpetuated without small circles. 
Can I say that again? I know that sounds almost like textbook. The heartbeat of Jesus Christ can never be kept going, perpetuated outside small circles. Think about it. Joshua took over for Moses because they had a small circle. Elisha took over for Elijah because they had a small circle. Um, all the disciples, the, the ones that were close, Peter took over for Christ because he said, look, I'm leaving. You got to take it. Took over. Timothy took over for Paul. If we're going to keep this faith going and it's not just about us and it matters to those who are coming afterwards, the only way to perpetuate it is to get in a small circle, affect someone's life, change them, transform them, watch, the, watch what happens in their life and then Watch what happens when they take it to someone else. It will revolutionize it. Everything will be different. Okay, next visual. Here we go. Watch this. You got to look at this art. You see the trash built up and the light shining on it? This artist has done it in such a way that it's created a shadow on the wall. I know some of you are like, uh. <laughs> see, here's what happens. Let's say John is my small circle guy. He brings his trash. I bring my trash. But something is going to be projected far more beautiful than just our trash. And it keeps going and going and going. Finally, I will say this to you. From Ecclesiastes Chapter 4 and verse 9, verse 12. Uh, chapter uh, 4, verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help up the other. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. Don't try the spiritual warfare on your own. You can't do it. You're not designed to do it. Next picture, this says it all. A wedding on a dock. Oops. Doesn't life feel this way? And you need somebody standing next to you say, let me give you a hand because you're getting ready to fall in. I want to sh- bring up the next picture, Jose, of the, of the uh, ship. You may recognize this ship. Did you hear the story? Cruise liner from Italy. Now, most people would look at that ship. I would and say, wow, that's unsinkable. It looks big and bold. It looks strong. It looks robust. It actually looks beautiful. It looks like there's a lot of people on it. In certain ways, it looks formidable. You know the news. Cruises out of its projected path. And the next photo says everything. Three people died this week. Dozens still missing. 
the captain was arrested because he abandoned ship, allegedly. I looked at that picture. Hmm. I couldn't help but to think of the church. Supposedly formidable, strong, unsinkable. But if you know anything about what's going on in Europe and even America, quite frankly, that's starting to look like the picture. We've lost our voice. We're the brunt of jokes on sitcoms. We're ill-represented on talk shows. And we're not the intended church that God has in his heart. I believe we can change that. But I think this has happened because we've abandoned ship. And we've abandoned the hard things. And in particular today, as in, this, in the context here, we've abandoned the hard things of being willing to get down to one-to-one relationships. It's life-changing. It's life-changing. I'm telling you, I am seeing it before my eyes, nearly three decades of being in the ministry. I'm telling you, I'm seeing something at this church happening in this arena. And I'm sure it's happening in other churches, so I'm not saying we're the only ones, but I'm seeing something happen in this church that I've never seen before because we're being intentional about putting person A with person B and watching what God does in a small circle relationship and being willing to do hard things and being willing to say, let's strip ourselves and being vulnerable about ourselves and take this spiritual warfare and quit playing church and quit playing just let's just do songs and let's do big group and feel better about it and I'm not going to be a pastor that gets excited about a lot of numbers in a room. I'm just saying it out loud. We can go to a thousand. Hey, that's cool. But this guy is not going to get excited. I've served in churches of four to five thousand. So I've already been there more than I've done that. I I got the t-shirt hanging in my closet. It's not about growing big. It's about growing small. It's not about more numbers. It's about more hearts changed. It's not about having some nifty mission statement. It's about having a mandate that becomes a reality where lives are changed, where I'm looking into the eyes of a mom that says, I'm losing my daughter, and I'm, now I'm hearing, wow, I'm seeing humongous change because we arrange for small circle relationships. I'm seeing marriages that typically would have slid right off the corner of the earth and go right down. I'm hearing stories of putting men with that husband and women with that wife and seeing literal, real life transforming things. It is worth the hard thing of doing it. Can you feel my fire? I'm not... I'm not saying, oh, we've got a great program. You got to get in. I'm telling you, it's so cool. And there's nifty handouts and the snacks are awesome. (laughs) 
God knew exactly what it would take to rock the world. That's why he prayed. Oh God, Christ praying to the Father, I pray that they'll be as close to as as you and I are. John 17. I pray that for us. Father, thank you God for your church designed to take on the gates of hell intended to be the rock boasted from your heart as the bride of Christ In, in the time of my closet prayer, God, you've heard me say it, and I'm going to say it again to you. As leaders, forgive us for abandoning Shep. Help us to see things for what they are, not to be critical or negative or even stay in some kind of trench, but at least to see the reality in America for what it is. We're sinking. We're losing. And I believe, God, you want something different. There are too many of us, God, that have been about the programs and the numbers and all those charts and all that. And we're done. We're done. And I pray, God, that our hearts would be actually inflamed to create small circle relationships that will rock the world. I recognize God, it's hard. And there's some in the sitting in this room that would say, honestly, in their heart, I have no idea what, what, what even this whole concept. And that's okay. There are others that say, hey, I'm, I'm good in a big circle. That's our, and, and I know, God, you're going to move. I know that there are some that are sitting here. I just know it. The numbers tell us so. They're saying, man, I wish I had one. I wish I had an honest relationship. I wish I had small circle. Tired of hiding. Tired of being lonely. Tired of losing the warfare. Tired of carrying it all by myself, my grief. God, I pray that for, for those who are open, don't let us stop. Don't let us pull off the highway. Take the easy route. God, help us to grip the wheel 
not abandon the ship of your church. Believe in what it can be, God. Believe in what you intended it be to be, God. Believe in God rocking the world as you've commanded us and charged us to rock the world, even if it's just the small world around us. And help us, God, to do hard things, to strip ourselves, to take off our selfishness and our hiding and our uh, a fear and of, of being vulnerable and all those things, God, that, and help us to recognize that you've called us into these kinds of red zone relationships. And so, Father, I pray that as we go from this place today, that the thing that will just penetrate our mind is that you've asked us to grow relationships small, and we will for Christ. Amen.